Well, I feel like good morning um, is not enough today. Um, it feels more like great week. Do you realize that since the last time we met, um, 14 people walked through the water in obedience, in baptism, demonstrating that they have put their faith in Jesus? 14. And do you realize that um, Friday night, with the little drama going on around the square, um, at least five new souls have turned toward Jesus and put their trust in him? Did you know that um, one of our families, the, the Skinners, um, they are back home from China with their new son, Levi. He's home. And that's beside the fact that we continue to celebrate what's going on in Togo with, with the team who's there doing the camps and the VBSs and another incredible week that God has given us the last 10, 11 days with our friends um, from Taiwan, the friendships that have been formed, what we've got to experience together. I'm saying, I know that God is good every week, but come on, there are just those weeks when your eyes are open and you see how blessed you are. If there was ever a moment where our God, shoot, deserves A standing O. It's this week. We should praise him. We should praise him. I'm telling you. All right. Thanks. We are glad that uh, all the Taiwan folks are with us this morning, and then they get to go to the Royals game after a while, and we're hoping that they can turn things around, all right? After this all, we're, we're ready to see some wins, so you guys got to cheer loud, and we, we, want, we need a win today, all right? Speaking of baseball, as a church, we have been in a study of one of the books of the Bible, the book of Acts. And we're getting near the end. We're not, we're not quite there, but we're getting near the end. But we chose to call it Put Me In Coach. Put Me In Coach. And the reason is because when we read Acts, we are learning that belonging to the church, belonging to the family of God is not about sitting in the stands and watching what's going on, but belonging in the family of God means we get to step onto the field. We've been called to play the game of mission that we have where we want to see the whole world come to know this love that we now have experienced from Jesus. And so we're learning what the real church looks like. That's what we're learning. Here's what the real thing looks like. Today's story centers again around a guy named Paul and a church in Ephesus. 
Now, the church in Ephesus is one of the churches in the Bible that we know more about than, than any of the others. For the last two years in our story today, Paul has been sharing, teaching the good news of Jesus. People are believing, and the local church in Ephesus forms. Now, I'm telling you, every week, you've got to read your Bible, the stuff in between what we actually have time to talk about, because there is some, uh, what I'm just going to go ahead and call strange, but amazing stories. For example, there's the story this week about the seven sons of Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva. You're like, sounds like the WWE. The, the world wrestling, right? It, it, well, sort of. Because the seven sons of Sceva are actually itinerant Jewish exorcists. No, no lie. You should read your Bible. They travel from Jewish synagogue to Jewish synagogue looking for people who are demon-possessed, and they cast out the demons. I ain't making this up. It's in there. Now, I'm not sure what that gig pays. I'm not sure it would ever be enough. I, I'm not sure what degree is required to, to, to hold such a role, but that's what they do. Synagogue to synagogue looking for demon-possessed people, and they cast out the demons. Now, they watch Paul, and Paul also is able to cast out demons. But when Paul cast out demons, he, he simply cast them out in the name of Jesus. There's no throwing holy water, no heads are spinning, no green soup shooting out, no girls climbing walls. You've seen the movie, right? You've seen the movie. He just simply casts them out in the name of Jesus, and they go. And so in chapter 19 of Acts, the seven sons of Sceva try the same thing. And they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And on one occasion, the demon answers them. He says, I know Jesus, and I'm familiar with Paul, but who are you? Rut row. <laughs> and it says he jumps on the seven sons of Sceva, and he whips them all. They leave bloody and naked. That's how it ends. Now, those of you who are sports fans know that we currently live in a day where when it comes to the boxing world, at the end of the fight, there's usually still a debate on who actually won the fight. But can I give you a general rule? If you're in a fight and you start the fight with pants on, and when the fight's over, you got no pants, you lost, right? You lost that fight. This is literally one of those places where the demon, he beats the pants off them. Literally, that's what happens. Well, the people see this, and it says they're just in awe. I mean, you talk about a wow factor, and the name of Jesus is in high honor in town. And that's where we pick up the scripture that we're going to read today. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 18 as we look at what the real church on mission looks like. It says, many of those who believed, 
Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Here's the first thing I want you to see today about the real church on mission. The real church on mission will continuously confess and repent. The real church on mission will continually confess and repent. Now, I'm saying that because when I read this story, it says the believers came forward. People who believed. They come forward and they are confessing their sin. In this particular case, they have been involved in sorcery. They are bringing their books of witchcraft, it says, and they burn them. Now, I'm not usually a book-burning fan, but in this particular case, this was something that needed to be put behind them. They are turning to Jesus and away from that which they have worshipped. It says they bring all these books, 50,000 drachma. You know how much that is? Most, most scholars agree that in, in this day, in Paul's day, a drachma would have been about a day's wage. 50,000 days wages. So like if you worked every day of the year, every day, no days off, every day of the year, that would be 137 years of wages. That was a serious step, you think? But these believers are saying, here's where we were wrong. And we are confessing that this was wrong and we are repenting, we are turning to Jesus. In other words, you've got this environment of honest, authentic, genuine, real hearts. This is a church at Ephesus who believes that the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection, it has set us free from having to pretend that we're better than we really are. We need to let that sink in. The good news of Jesus that really does forgive, really does embrace us, it sets us free free from the tendency to have to pretend that we're more than we really are. Because as Jesus followers, we're going to mess up sometimes. Now, I have observed in many, many years of life in church, in fact, all of my years have been life connected to church, I have observed that there are churches that will choose to build more around what I call morality than they will mission. And what I mean by that is they are the churches that tend to see sin as something you might catch if you get too close. So the philosophy of ministry can become in that church more about constructing walls and guarding purity from the outside big bad world. We build our walls, we, we blow up our bubble, and we protect from the ugliness of the outside. That is not 
what we believe God's called us to be. That is not what the real church on mission looks like. We believe we are called to engage the world. It's what Jesus modeled, and it's what he called us to do. We are connecting. We are proclaiming the good news, knowing that that's messy. And even when people put their trust in Jesus, even when people are rescued, they are saved, it still gets messy. The church, I think, is kind of like raising kids. The house is not always clean. Now, if you tell me you're coming to my house, if there's any way possible, I'm going to probably try to, you know, pick up as much stuff as I can so that when you come in, you feel like, hey, you know, it's, it's picked up, it's clean. But if you just show up at my house, you might get the real deal. Because there are kids at my house. Sometimes they're mine. <laughs> they're always moving, always running. Stuff, stuff, you know what I'm saying? The real honest people, parents in the house, get what I'm saying. When you got kids, the house, it's just not always clean. And you know what? That's what the church really is supposed to look like because we are always reaching into a dark world. There are always new kids, believers coming in. And even those who have been around a while, we can still at times find ourselves messy. See, I've discovered that there, there are people who really believe that the church should have this kind of properness to it. Because if not, then we, we reflect poorly in the community. And I just want us to be clear. We who follow Jesus should always always be moving more and more toward practical holiness. Now, positionally, relationship with God, in case you don't know this, if you're a Jesus follower, you're holy. You are, you are right with him. The scripture says, I mean, it is miraculous that when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. Now, there ain't nothing fair about that, is it? That's just grace. So positionally, you are holy. You are right with him. You are forgiven. But practically, come on, we're still marching this thing out. We are still living this thing out. And there are still these moments that, that yes, we want to be moving more and more toward practical holiness and more and more away from worldliness. But Jesus made it clear that we are supposed to be doing that while at the same time, we are crashing the gates of hell. That's not pretty. Those places aren't clean. They are messy. It is dark. And it's by the power of God's spirit that we learn to walk in that tension, understanding the mess, but pushing forward toward purity. We are growing more mature as we follow Jesus, but sometimes we really do mess up. And what do we do in that? The real church, we confess our sin and we just continue to turn to Jesus. There is no freedom for those who are not honest. There is no victory for those who are not honest. Don't pretend that you're more than you are. You don't have to. What's going to move the world around you is not your self-righteous hypocrisy. 
You can put on your mask, but they already know you and I mess up. What moves the heart of the world around us is when in our weakness, we lean into the strength of Jesus and we make much of him. That's what the real church looks like. We're trusting in Jesus, but we're still battling. We're learning what God says is right action and right heart, but we're still fighting. It is a part of our name. We are heart of life, which means we don't want to be a people who just put on a show on the outside. We don't want to just act like we got all the right action. We want to be a people who have something real with God from the inside out. He is crafting us into who he wants us to be. And sometimes that means we have to confess and repent. It is the evidence of the real church. So if you're here today and you struggle, you might have found where you belong. You're in good company today. Good company. Some of us might not want to admit that to you, but the real church will. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Let's skip to verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. That was would have been the, the overseers, the leaders, the pastors, we would kind of say. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Everywhere he went, people tried to kill him, right? You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I like that. That's Acts 2020, by the way, which I think is just a cool 2020 vision. I mean, publicly and from house to house. Apparently, they had life teams in Paul's day. And every day they're meeting publicly, house to house. That's how they did it. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going. I'm leaving. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The real church on mission will not only continuously confess and repent, but the real church on mission will lay down personal preferences for the glory of God. Now here's the picture at Ephesus. The good news of Jesus got there through Paul. I mean, he's the man. He has taught them for two years now. He describes it with tears. Now, it's one thing to teach. It's another thing to teach with tears. There's a lot of stories that come with tears. There's a lot of struggles that come with tears, right? There's a lot of heart. There's a lot of compassion that comes with tears. He talks about the testing, but he taught them every day, every day. 
And now he knows that God is sending him out again. God is changing the direction. He is the face of leadership in Ephesus. He is the one who has raised up the other leaders. This man walks in so much supernatural power. Have you ever heard the hanky story when it comes to Paul? You should read your Bible. Because it literally says that there are moments that he didn't even have to show up. They would take his handkerchief, no lie, and place it on the person who was sick, and they would be well. That's who we're talking about here. And he's saying, it's time for me, that God says, it's, it's time for me to go another direction. Now remember, he's taught him every day publicly, house to house. And now, prison and hardship. That's like, where are you going to go, Paul? Prison and hardship. And they're not going to see each other again. Now, I'm telling you, there are so many reasons in that list of circumstances that would lead just about every one of us in this room to determine, I just really don't think God's in that. Right? Right? It's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't really see God being in that. Why would we say that? Because it's painful. That's why we would say that. Because there's sacrifice. That's why we would say that. Prison, hardship, separation, all that goes. We would go, I, I just don't know that God's in that. Oh, God was in it. Because and Paul and the church at Ephesus don't make decisions based on what is the easiest path. They make their decisions based on what God's telling them to do, regardless of what it costs. It's not about how much money can be made. It's not about how comfortable it is. Paul knows this life is not all that there is. He knows this is temporary. He knows the mission is a short time, and he's playing for something more. And what he's playing for is the greatness of his God. It's the glory of God. And that's worth more than the pain or the sacrifice or the inconvenience that might be encountered. Come on, I watched some of this this week even. It's one of the privilege of being your shepherd is I watch this happen in our church on a regular basis. But even this week, um, some of y'all were a little inconvenienced on Friday night because some of us didn't even get home till about 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. But if you got home at 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday you were able to lay your head on the pillow that night and go to sleep, knowing that at least five more people just joined you in the family of God and the kingdom got a little bit bigger. Yeah. So you lose a little sleep and you gain souls for the greatness of God. It's like, I, I, I'm still, my heart just celebrates the, the Skinners getting back home and to be able to come home with Levi. Are they here? I didn't think so. You know what I'm saying? They should be sleeping. That's what they should be doing, right? Because they just got in. But, but um, do you know that to adopt a child, it costs money? And do you know that it's a fight no matter how smooth people tell you it is. 
and all that has to be done, everything that has to be filled out, everything that has to be worked through. And then once you get like past that part, and then the, the child actually comes home, there's this deal of like, you gotta keep taking care of them. Providing, correcting, all that stuff that goes with it. I, I, I'm saying, do you know what the Skinners could do with that money and that time and that freedom? But they went after Levi. Because it's about the greatness of our God. That's what I'm talking about. This week I've, I've just continued to be amazed at what I hear from Togo. And there's about eight or ten of our young women, young ladies, who pushed through their fear of traveling to a, a country in West Africa but what God's doing this week, touching the hearts of young women there in Togo, it's about God's greatness. The real church on mission will lay down our personal preferences for the greatness of our God. Some of you need to lay down your personal preferences and get up and engage the mission that you have been avoiding because it costs if you think the cost is too high, you have not yet seen the greatness of God. Third, let's go to verse 26. Therefore, therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. This is Paul talking now. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears, the real church on mission not only continuously confesses and repents, not only lays down personal preference from the, for the glory of God, but the real church on mission ferociously holds to the word of God. I'm using that word on purpose because it requires ferociously hold to the word of God. That's what Paul's talking about here when he's saying, I'm telling you the truth, I teach you the truth, I teach you the truth, and you got to hold to the truth, hold to the truth, because people are going to try to mess you up. Anybody know God's always right? Yeah, don't you hate that? Yeah. He's always right. And if it weren't so dangerous and so, so sad, we could actually laugh at how every generation that comes along tends to throw our cultural ammunition at the word of God, and it goes something like this. You know, if God was just aware of how smart we would be in 2017, if God had known how smart we were going to be by now, he wouldn't have put that stuff about sexuality in the Bible. He, he wouldn't have put those parameters about marriage in the Bible. If he knew how smart we were, 
right? If he knew how far we would have come as a culture, if he knew, you know, how much more, he wouldn't have put those things in the Bible. I'm telling you, without a ferocious commitment to the Word of God, there will be no supernatural change, no supernatural transformation of souls. For one, there there won't even be a a, a mess to enter into because if I'm writing the rules, I'm never in a mess. I just make it up as I go. And whatever I get into, I just say it's okay. So there's not even a mess to enter into. It's this picture of, hey, if sin offends people, then let's don't talk about sin and repentance anymore. Let's just talk about stuff like the widows and the poor and injustice and oppression and being good and doing good and having a good heart. Let's just, let's just go there. And I'm saying, come on. Really? Who are you to argue with God? You confuse you sometimes. It's like, if you and God got in a fight, who's going to leave with pants? Yeah. My money's on God. You might be smart, but I'm telling you, there is nobody like our God, and we hold on to his truth, his word, and literally without it, we die. I got one more. Verse 35. Let's read. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard, 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 what? Hard work. We must help the weak. Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Here's the last one. The real church on mission not only continuously confesses and repents, not only lays down personal preferences for the glory of God, not only ferociously hold to the word of God, but the real church on mission work hard. They work hard. (laughs) It's like, I don't know if we really saw that coming at the end of this talk with Paul. It's like he's been really spiritual. Now he's talking about hard work. It's like, yeah. When Christ called you to follow, he did not call you to a life of ease. I'm telling you the truth. Did he call you to rest? Yeah. Rest for your soul, he describes. Now that you know that you are loved, you're not, you're not having to work hard to get God to love you. He already loves you. you you're, not, you're not clamoring all the time trying to figure out what you need to do next to, to make sure things line up between you and God. He, he completely loves you. You. So is there rest for your soul? Absolutely. Is there joy? Absolutely. Is there ease? No. There's not. I, I want you to just think practically how we've seen this affect, um, let's say things like, um, I'm going I'm to pick on education system for a little bit. 
Anybody realize what happened the day that we decided that we're more interested in self-esteem than we are learning? Okay? And some of you are great teachers and you get frustrated with this process. Because I need to tell you, some of you don't know this, but an old guy like me can tell you, there was a day that you went to school and you could fail a test. Do you know that? You could fail. Like if you did not study, you would fail. And I'm watching so much of a system in our day that goes, well, you know, if he didn't study and he made a 50, how's he going to feel about himself? Well, let's let him take it again. And so he takes it again. This time, he makes a 60. Like, seriously? Well, now, now he's really going to feel bad about himself. Because, I mean, he failed it the first time. And then he's going to take it again. And then he still doesn't pass it. Well, let's just let him take it again. Cool. Why didn't we just give him a participation trophy to start with? Right? Now, listen to me. What? those lines of thinking produce is a type of entitled laziness that always has somebody else to blame and leads people to run as fast as they can away from hard work. I'm challenging you to translate that into the spiritual mission that you have been called to. And when God says to you, you are a part of the mission in this world in pushing back the darkness, do we really think that will happen easily? And Paul reminds us in this text, he goes, no, it was hard work. (laughs) He goes, this was really hard work. Because pushing back the darkness usually doesn't happen from just one act of serving. It it usually doesn't happen from just one gathering of a prayer meeting. It is a fight. It is a fight that goes on. And we got to be literally, it is willing to allow our lives to be wrung out, to push back what is dark in this world. I agree, hard work, hard work can be empty. If your hard work is only attached to money, it will eventually be empty because you'll never make enough to fill up the void, ever. I know you don't believe me, but just keep going. The day you prove me wrong, come see me. If hard work is only attached to making money, you will, you will always be empty because you'll never fill the void. If hard work is attached to you gaining notoriety, you have achieved, and you have excelled in your field, it will never be enough. But when hard work is attached to the glory of God, I'm telling you, it's not empty. It's not empty. Churches that are real on mission, they work hard. They go to bed every night hopeful and yet exhausted. I'm not saying don't rest. You should rest. Some of you should just go to sleep at night when you're supposed to. The problem is some of us, by the time we go to bed, we ain't tired. 
And that's when you get in trouble, isn't it? We are good at using rest as an excuse to avoid being tired. Paul says this, this just takes hard work. One time in ministry, I remember having a conversation with a person that um, this particular person had, had decided that they were going to move on, all right? And maybe it was kind of like Paul. They're, they're going to move on. But, but honestly, the, the reason that they kind of gave was they were attaching to a, a different um, church. And in this particular case, it was a, a bigger church, which I don't ever want to hear us blast churches that are big. Don't do that, okay? God does really cool stuff through big churches, little churches, in-between churches. Don't ever do that. But this particular person was attaching to a church that was able to, in this particular ministry that we were dealing with, was able to resource that and just do it at a cool level. And this person looked at me and basically said, hey, our church, you know, speaking of where we our church is headed in that direction, but it's going to take us like 10 years to get to that level. And God gave me enough wisdom just to look back at them and not argue and just go, yep, yep, it might. Now, let me interpret for you, all right? Interpret goes like this. I'm not willing to be a part of the family who works hard to get there for others. I just want to enjoy the hard work that other people have already done. Don't be shocked when you encounter that from time to time in this world, that kind of thinking always exists. But I encourage you, God is still calling his church to push into the darkness with the light of the world. And you know what? People are joining him in that mission. And I am grateful for people in this mission who are not afraid to work hard. I'll keep calling you to rest but not afraid to work hard and not afraid of what the difficult things might sometimes be that God calls us to. Watch this. My name is Matthew Hessenager. I'm 15 years old and I go to Heart of Life. Uh, this summer I went to a mission training at, in California and it was really good because we learned a lot of things and it was a small group so we got to get very personal and deep with each other. Pastor Moses, who was our leader while we were there, told us how he read the Bible and it wasn't just a chapter every day or a certain amount every day, it was just however much his mind could handle and it really struck a nerve with me because it was like, kind of spoke to me and told me how I could start reading the Bible and so after he told me that it got me reading the Bible like every day, and so it was really good. And Pastor Moses, he was, he's a full-time um, missionary, and so he told stories about stuff he did all throughout his life, and it also kind of spoke to me on that too, and kind of got me interested, because I'm only 15, and I don't really know exactly what I want to do with my life yet, and so it kind of gave me a, kind of like a two-by-four moment, and made me realize maybe I should do mission in my life because I do kind of want to do something that's in uh, relation to God somehow. He talked about how missionary work doesn't have to be in Taiwan or Togo or halfway across the world anywhere. It can be here at home and you don't even have to be a 
specific age. You can be any age and you can do mission work. As long as it's serving God, then it's mission work. And he, God spoke to me and he can speak to you too because if you ever have an opportunity to go on a mission trip or anything, you should because it's a great learning experience for you in the field and it's also doing what God told us to do. That's worth working hard for. In my book, that's worth working hard for. That's worth going to sleep every night, tired, to see a young man have his heart opened by the Spirit of God and go, my life on mission. Now listen to me. That mindset shouldn't just belong to a young man who's got his life in front of him. That mindset ought to belong to every person who has Jesus in front of them. Because that's what real followers look like. My challenge to you today, lay down. Lay down whatever would hold you from it and get up and engage the mission that God has called us to. Not trying to pull anything over your eyes. It is hard work. It is hard work and there are moments that it requires sacrifice. You got to hold on with everything you got to the word of God. And there will be moments you mess up. And it's like, who in the world am I to be on such a mission? And I'm still messing up like this. What do you do? You stay honest. And you just keep turning toward Jesus. He's the one who holds the strength that got us here. He's the one who holds the strength that's going to get us home. Until that day. Work hard. Work hard for the greatness of your God. Pastor Michelle, would you come? This is Pastor Michelle who is very much connected um, with what takes place in um, Taiwan. Um, Just amazing um, heart and vision that God continues to, to give her and our privilege to work together is just absolutely beautiful and Andrew, is he going to translate? Yeah. He can translate? All right. Um, he might be standing to the side, but this man is not anybody to the side. His heart is so crazy beautiful. I love him to death. Um, I'd steal him if he lived here. I'd steal him. I'm telling you. Um, and just together, watching these teams work, they are beautiful. And I've asked her um, if she would pray for us. Because I know that's something she does all the time. You don't even know it, but there's people praying for you. And other places in the world, just like we pray for them and their church, they pray for us. And so I've asked her to close us out today by praying. And uh, I told her she didn't have to translate, but they're gracious enough that they're going to do that. After she prays, um, I'm praying that you just have a great day. But maybe before you leave, there are some things that you could use some prayer. You could use some help. We will be right over here to the side. We would be honored to pray with you, to encourage you in any way that we can. I love you. Pastor Michelle, it is yours. Woman
Heavenly Father. 感谢你向我们彰显丰盛的爱。Thanks for showing such an abundant love. 这是我们不配得的。That we won't deserve. 只因为这群人爱神。Oh, it's all about the we love God. 我们何等感谢 Heart of Life Family. We really appreciate every host family that all you've done to us. We see Jesus' love revealed among you, and also live in your heart. Your love is unconditional. That touches our hearts. And changes our mindset. We are shined by God's glory and melted by God's love. 我们知道这个旅程是耶稣引导我们来的。God, I know you prepare our path and guide us to meet you, know you, experience you. 引导我们来这里认识耶稣。To acknowledge you and learn you more. 遇见你。To meet you. 被你触摸。Touched by you. 用真心活出爱来。We'll live in you. We'll live in His love and glorify you. 一生荣耀你。Glorify you forever. 愿耶和华赐福给你，保护你。I wish God bless you and keep you. 愿耶和华使他的脸光照你，赐恩给你。May His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 愿耶和华向你扬脸，赐你平安。Lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. 奉主耶稣基督的名祷告。In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.